Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John 3, verses 13 to 24. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has no eternal life abiding in him. By this we know how we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the word of the Lord. Were you, have you been, are you currently special enough to be part of an elite group, a closed society, a place that has some secret understanding or handshake or password that you have to have to be able to get into? If you're not, don't worry. It's been a long time since I've been there. But I was watching the last season, uh, the new season that's just come out of Stranger Things, but the last season of Stranger Things, so I could prepare for the new season of Stranger Things that came out. Not because I'm hip or cool, but because I like to be scared. And in watching it, the group of kids call themselves the party. And in the party, there's an understanding of how you interact with one another and who's allowed to be part of the party. And there's a conflict that takes place because they invite an outsider into the party, or somebody invites an outsider into the party and lets them know. And it made me think about life and the fact that oftentimes we set ourselves up in these little groups and say we're special this way or this is who we are. And we do create things that make sure that we know that we're part of that group or that uh, show that we have the knowledge of the part of that group. Now that's what's going on here where John is. 
He's writing to this group of churches that have had these group of people come in and say, you don't know the secret handshake. You don't know the password. You don't know the secret knowledge that we have, and so we're not quite sure that you're really with God, abiding. And for the last two and a half chapters, he's been sort of <coughs> decimated over and over and over again, this understanding that there has to be some secret knowledge to be part of the group that understands who God is. And he gets to this part that we're at today. And he says, I want you to know how you know for sure that you don't have to be part of this group that says they're so special because the amazing, loving God has brought you in. And here's how you will know for sure that you are with God, abiding. In life. So the first thing that he says is this, and this is one that goes, okay, this is counterintuitive to us. He says, you're going to know that you're part of me, you're going to know that you're abiding in life with me because of this. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The first thing for us to know is that if we're abiding in life, is that the world will hate us. Okay. Here's where it gets dangerous for us. We hear that world world, and we begin to think, and we begin to personify what that is. We hear world, and our minds, and our actions, and our hearts want to put some structure, some flesh on it. And so we begin to personify what that means. So we think of maybe individuals. Uh, some would say uh, those who hate us are those uh, uh, militant atheists, like Richard Dawkins and the like. And that's what he means there, that it's this man or these women who, who have this militant sort of, I've got to disprove the reality of God to everybody, because if you believe it, you're just stupid. And so we personify and say, it must be that. Or we personify it in a particular group of people. And sadly, oftentimes that comes down to a political stance, usually. And the interesting thing about that is, depending on what side of the political aisle you would want to hang out on, the other side is the one that's the world. Right? You go, well, that must be the world, or that must be the world. And we have to personify it in the sense of somebody. Or we personify it in a completely other religion. And say, oh, it's those type of people who worship a false god, that is the world that hates us. Now listen, there are definitely individuals who hate all Christians. There are definitely groups of people who hate all Christians. And there are definitely, within religious groups, some people within those places that would hate Christianity. We see that in persecution. We see that 
through books that are written. We see that through attacks that take place. But that's not what John's talking about here. It's actually the system of the world that is underneath Satan's reign. So what he's talking about is the fact that Satan, who reigns the fallen world, hates you. And he can't help but want to destroy you. Peter reminds us that Satan is like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the first thing that we recognize is when we're abiding in life is that the powers that are the principalities that rule over this earth and its fallen nature seek to destroy us. They hate us and long for us to be hit. So that's number one. How does that manifest itself? How does that show itself out for us? Sometimes we make it a little bit too easy. Because one of the major ways that it shows itself for us is that we decide that we're going to personify the people that hate us. And we build an us versus them mentality. One of the major ways that it says, I'm going to seek your destruction, is to separate you out from the thing that you're supposed to be doing most of all. And when we hear that somebody hates us, and we begin to personify who those people are who hate us, then we think innately that it gives us the right to hate them back. It's true. But that's not what we're called to. And that's the second way that we know that we are abiding in life. The second way that we know that we're abiding in life is this, that we have moved, it says, from death to life, and then it reminds us that we are to love. Listen, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love our brothers. The second way that we know that we're abiding in life is that we are people of love. That we move towards others without thinking of them as our enemy, but moving to them as thinking about our brothers or sisters, or potential brothers or sisters. Not in order to like them just to get them into the family, but because God has said, I've created them, they're in my image, and we move towards them in love. It says that we know that we move from death to life, that we're brand new. That in previous times, we in fact were overcome by the world that hates us and seeks for our destruction. But we now no longer are in that place because God has saved us and brought us in. So He tells us and reminds us look, you now love your brother. Why? Because whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, do not If your brother has something against you, go to them quickly and seek forgiveness before you come to the altar. 
We're called to live our lives in such a way that it says, I know I'm abiding because my heart is turned towards love, and I'm no longer a child of death. But what does that love look like? How does it show itself to be? It says, by this we know what love is, that Jesus, he, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The ultimate understanding of love is Christ on the cross. Is God becoming human and saying, I will handle the separation that is present and the brokenness that is in this world. I will handle it all and take it upon myself so that you can be free and move into whole relationship, true relationship with me and yourself and all others and thanks. That I can't wait to have you, and so I will come for you. That, that song that we sang earlier, which is an excellent song, but it says, spilled blood, you spilled your blood. I grew up, and my dad always hated if somebody used that word, spilled blood, because they would think it was accidental, because, you know, if you spill something, it's an accident. And Jesus didn't accidentally die. He laid down his life purposefully, not accidentally. All the rest of the words in that song, by the way, are right. So we should get rid of it, just because we want to. That's our example. And we go, oh, okay, great. <laughs> so that means I'm supposed to die. Well, yes, we're supposed to die to ourselves. We're supposed to die to our desires. We're supposed to desire, die to having our own person, our own who all we think we are placed on the throne of our hearts. And we let Jesus reign there. And in letting Jesus reign there, as we move our eyes off of the Holy God, we move out and see those who are around us. And we go towards love with them. But John's helpful for us because that seems still pretty mysterious. And he says this, but if anyone has worldly goods and sees his brother in need, yet does not, uh, but yet closes his heart against it, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed or in truth. All right, so he takes positive to negative here, and he says, look, if you've got things and you see your brother in need, then what should happen is you should have your heart open to them and help them in their need. He says, because if you don't do that, then how is it that the love of God is in you? Let us love not just in word and talk, but in deed and truth. So the practical outgrowth of us being people who are abiding in life is that we love. And how that love looks is that we are concerned for the needs of others. Now, it's very specific here, isn't it? If you have worldly things, if you see that people are in need, you need to get. You need to help them out. All right. 
Raise your hand if you have stuff. Yeah, we all have stuff. We have sometimes, some of us, more stuff than we really need. So when we see people in need, how are we helping them with our stuff? That's what it says we should do. Why? Because we love them. And who set the example for us? Christ. But I would dare say he's not wanting to just be that specific. The way that it might look for us today is not just about our possession. But it could also mean about our position. Or our power. Or our privilege. That we have. When we look around our world today, and even to our neighbors, there are many of us who will recognize that there are people who have been despised and pushed down. There are many who have gone in their life without having voice and able to speak to be heard. And if we are those who have voice, then what does it mean for us to lend our voice to them? Because the reality is, for me, I have voice. I have power. I have privilege. And I have position. Those are all words. And so it is out of love, then, that when I see those who are without those things, that I come alongside of them to enable them. That's even the wrong word. It's to give them voice. And that doesn't mean that I stand up and say the things for them. The first thing that means for us who are in that place is that we have ears to hear them. Because it's not as if they've not been talking. It's not as if they haven't been saying these are the things that are going on. The first way that we begin to, to share our power and privilege and position is to listen and not feel like we need to justify. Not feel like we need to make sure the other side of the story is heard. But to allow those who have been in despair and press down and burn to have a place to speak. We must be those, if we abide in life, who are listening to those who face death. And run to them in order to enable them Again, a bad word, but it's so hard for me to get away from it. It's not allowed, and it's not enabled, and it's not, it might be a threat. But have their voice with them. Now, the hard part about that is I'm going to disagree with some of them. I'm going to hear their stories, and I'm going to think, I don't think you're missing something. 
And again, that's where we, we want to jump in and we want to make sure the other side of the story is, is heard. But because I have an abundance of those things, power and position and privilege, it is on me to be silent. Because here's the thing. In relationship, in God moving us back into wholeness with one another, then there is opportunity and time for me or you to speak and give. That draws us to one another. Now, that doesn't mean that you should stop giving your possessions. You should. We should always be looking with the mind that says, Who is in need? And here's the beauty of it is that as you are looking for those who are in need, you are also in need. It puts us on level ground. It makes us understand I'm always at a place of want, even in a kingdom of abundance, because I rest in this world that hates me. See, the world wants to destroy us, and so it's in some way the abundance that we have. It crushes us with its systems and its desires. But because I am in Christ, abiding in life, I have abundance even in my need. It might even look this way for you. There are people within our midst, in our gathering, and outside who are in our lives who right now are going through tragedy and trial. That they are walking through dark valleys of things that they have no clue how to handle or deal with. But you, perhaps, have been down there. Or you, in yourself, have been gifted by the Spirit to be able to walk with them. And so we have an extra measure of care and comfort that we can give to them. And so we don't store that up for a rainy day. We don't think to ourselves, well, I, I want to be gracious to them and walk along with them in the story that I have walked, but I don't want to share it. And we hold on. In our abundance, we give to those in need. And in our need, we receive from those who have abundance. That's how we know that we are one and abide in life. So we don't just love in word and talk, but we love in deed and truth. Truth, that's the greatest word of all. You want to know why that's the greatest word of all? It's because that truth refers back to John, who says, when God became flesh, we beheld his glory. <coughs> Same word. That it is Christ. So when we love in action, when we love in deed and in truth, we are loving in Christ. That is a movement towards him. It is a response to his love that said, I will sacrifice all for you. That's where it springs from. Why is that important? Because we abide in life. 
So the first one is that the world's going to hate us. And the second one is that we move from death to life and we love our brothers. And we do it in a very practical way. And then the third way that we know this is because our heart trusts that God has done it. You see that passage there? It says, by this we shall know that we are in the truth of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. I hope that if you are um, one who's been walking with Jesus, that you don't think like one of my old friends thought that um, if I do something wrong, then I'm out, and if I do something right, then I'm in. That I would always say, hey, how's it going in your relationship with God? And he'd be like, I don't know. I'm not sure. If we know that we're abiding in life, then it says to us this thing, that if our heart does condemn us, that we can rest that God knows everything. And he doesn't condemn us. Or there are those who walk around where their hearts don't condemn them. I believe that John here is thinking that it's not an ongoing kind of thing, because he doesn't use a perfect kind of uh, verb here. That means it's one and done. It's an ongoing kind of thing. So there are moments in my life when my heart is condemning me, and I've got to remember that God knows everything, and he's not condemning me. And there are moments in my life that I walk along, and my heart thinks, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I think the key for us in that is to hear John say, the God knows everything. It's so good there that John says everything. Because he doesn't go, and God knows all the good things that you've done. And so that's why you're okay. He, he doesn't say, and God knows that you're trying really hard, and he understands that you have a desire to please him. That's not what he says there. What he says is that God knows everything. That means the very things that you're allowing your heart to continue with, he knows those things. And he's saying, those don't continue. Because you abide in And more importantly, I abide So this is what happens as we walk in that place of non-condemnation. When we walk in that way of abiding in life. The first thing is we know the world's going to hate us. The second thing is we know we're going to love our brother in very practical ways. The third way is that we will not allow our heart to be condemned because we stand in God. And then, and then it says that we'll be able to pray and ask for anything and it will be given to us. Awesome. Right? Like a genie. Magic lamp. Oh. But see, here's the thing. As we are abiding in life, our desires of our hearts transition to the desires that God has. And so the very things that we begin to ask for are the things that God wants for us and for the world. And so we want certain things in our fleshiness, but because we walk along in life abiding in God, those things begin to peel away. And here's the awesome thing. It's not up to you to decide 
God shows up. Because I know that sometimes I pray for things that probably, almost certainly, 99.9% are not what God wants. But because I'm a child of God, I must act like a child of God. And even my mature children still ask me for things that aren't good for them. That I have to say no to. And that's a really bad, wretched man. So think about how God deals with you. Who knows everything? He's not worried that you might come to him and say, I'd like to do a lot of it. That's a weird prayer, but some of us have done it. He's not worried about that, but still figure it out. And he'll then probably move to not condemn your heart and say, why do you need all that money? But he moves to reveal in your heart that there's something that you are worried about that you've not put your trust in him about. And he says, your desire for that thing is really a desire for me, and that's going to fade away. Did you look at the Western Australia newspaper this week that talks about the guy that won 30 million, and now he's just destitute in a terrible situation? That very thing that he hoped for that would get him out of his problems is the very thing that trapped him and ensnared him. That doesn't mean that you're in a lottery, but that's a bad thing. And we can talk about whether you should be playing it or not. But what God does for those of us who are abiding with him is he speaks to our heart not to condemn us and say, bad child, you should have never bought it. But he says, what is the very thing that you're trusting in. I am the provider of all things. I am the one who knows. I am the one who has placed around you those who have more so that they can receive. So we have confidence. And it means our desires, when we abide in life, begin to change to God's desires. And what they are. He says, for those who obey his commands. And what's the command? That we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. How many of you think Christianity is hard? Following God's word? It is. Because it's really hard for us to believe in Jesus' name and to love one another. And that's why the last verse is so important to us. It says, whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us. Why? By the spirit whom he has given to us. Whether the world hates us or not, whether or not we're actively always moving in a posture of love for everybody that we encounter, whether or not our hearts are always not condemning us or we're having to wait on God to remind us that we're sons and daughters of Him. Whether or not all that's happening or not, what rises and levels everything underneath it is that you have been in well with God. The Spirit of God lives and moves and breathes within you, outside of you, around you, in you, making all things move together, reminding us that we are sons and daughters of God. 
reminding us that we abide in him. And so I will stumble and I will fall and I will skin my knees. I will lay down and think that I cannot go on. I will be just like a little child in the aisle of the shops being dragged by their mother to get out of the store because she's so embarrassed with God directing me and guiding me. I will be just like that. But because the Spirit of God is within me uh, and you, you are raised up. And actually where it looks like you're stumbling, you're flying. Where it looks like you're not abiding, God is pulling you in even more so. It is not simple because it takes us releasing, letting go, to allow God to pull you there all. And then we abide. Let me pray for us. Father, take our hearts and make them whole. Where we have abundance, allow us to give to those who are in want. And when we are in want, allow us to receive the abundance from others. Thank you, Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being the one who guides us. Being the one who transforms us. Being the one who tells us and reminds us that we are your children. Father, we give you glory and honor. Let all these words that are not yours burn up, but if they are yours, let them take heart and take root in our heart to bear good fruit through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand.